My name is Lisa Cook, and I'm the IT Governance Practice Lead at ISACA, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. Today, we have with us Alex Bovey. He's the CEO and co-founder of Conductor One. Alex, welcome. Hey, how are you doing, Lisa? Nice to be here, and thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited to talk about uh, security-led governance and the things that you're doing there. But before we get a start, I must know, you play the guitar and you do backup vocals in your family band. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the type of music that you play? And what well, I should start out by saying that I, I do both of them terribly. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a passion project during the pandemic. I've always wanted to play the guitar. And they say you can't uh, teach old dogs new tricks, but I figured, um, you know, it'd be a fun thing to try to learn how to play the guitar. So uh, we play a lot of Ava Brothers. We play a lot of Lumineers. And uh, I used to be able to um, beg my kids to to jump on and record a, a video with me and, and play some songs, but now they um, they resist it wholly. So sometimes it's just me doing primary vocals and not just backup vocals. That's great. I just love it. I had to I had to say something about that because that's so exciting. I love music, and we've got to be using both sides of our brains these days. You know, we talk a lot about uh, the analytics and the security and the metrics and things, but we've got to really hone that creative side as well. I could get my kids to participate it right up until I put my first video on Facebook, and then they completely reject it now. (laughs) I understand. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Boy, we've got really a great topic here today, talking about security and uh, least privilege in particular. And I wanted to make a start by just talking a little bit about governance controls and how you feel like we've fallen short of delivering those real security outcomes because we're we're more compliance driven rather than security focused. Could you just share a few of your initial thoughts there and then we'll dig right in? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to understand kind of the history of governance and where it came from. And, you know, I, I think initially and, and many years ago, governance really was rooted in a lot of regulations such as SOX and SOC 2 um, that came up, uh, you know, sort of post some of the financial fallout of um, uh, inappropriate financial behaviors from companies. And uh, so, you know, that was a, a, a mandated, necessary sort of set of controls that companies would adopt. Um, to help them, you know, run their businesses um, more compliantly and make sure that they were meeting the, the rules and regulations of the law. And a lot of those those governance sort of controls were rooted in security. I think what we're seeing, though, increasingly is that uh, traditional governance programs just aren't actually delivering on the security outcomes. And I think that's it's actually quite evidenced by um, what we're seeing today from, uh, you know, widespread breaches. Uh, There's no shortage of those in the news. Um, You're seeing a lot of identity centric attacks and and account takeovers where the result of those is uh, either data loss by um, the company themselves or or potentially impact to customers. There's quite a few of those uh, very recently in the news. And so I think it's really highlighting that from a governance perspective, just sort of achieving the compliance checkbox or, or focusing your governance program just on being compliant is not really actually achieving that ultimate outcome. That was the original purpose of it, which is to, to run your business effectively and, and, to, and to be secure. Um, and so I think we're starting to see a little bit of a shift, uh, frankly, in, in how companies actually see and approach governance programs in terms of getting the most out of it from a security perspective. So 
Tell us a little bit about the biggest challenges with modern governance and identity security today. Yeah, so the, the biggest challenges um, from uh, an identity security and governance perspective, uh, I would say really the, the two biggest ones is uh, the sheer magnitude of the number of identities in your environment. Companies are adopting massive amounts of SaaS and infrastructure applications. You have the, the number of employees and contractors where at times those number of uh, applications means it's a, a huge surface area to actually protect. And then I think within that, every company, regardless of how big they are, has these challenges. So it's not just relegated to the biggest companies anymore. You have medium-sized companies that are really struggling with that. And uh, in terms of adopting the solutions, it's really fundamentally about time to value and being able to optimize for that, I think mid-market companies, smaller companies that have these governance challenges, they need to be secure, they need to be compliant. They just don't have years to implement governance solutions. They don't want to pay um, you know, three times as much for services as they do for the software to get it implemented with a, you know, an actual ROI that they're not seeing for a couple of years um, from a solution adoption perspective. So I think those are the biggest um, pain points that we see both in terms of um, driving the urgency around governance and then also some of the challenges to actually getting a solution implemented. It's really good information. You know, as I think about what you were saying about large organizations, there may be a temptation to kind of go a checklist approach, right? And really focus on the compliance side. Let's talk about security and, and compliance. Talk about the relationship between these two and and how closely these should work together. Uh, we want to be speed to market, but we certainly want to make sure that we're security focused, right? Oh, absolutely. And and I think this is something I feel very passionate about is when you look at the, the Venn diagram of security and compliance, there's obviously overlap there. There's a lot of things that we do from a compliance perspective that help us be secure, but compliance itself does not um, predict and create a security-driven outcome. And so I think what we're seeing is the spirit of a lot of the compliance and, and governance-centric uh, controls are very good from a security perspective. Um, you know, things like user access reviews are extremely effective at actually reducing and removing unused or inappropriate access or privileges or, or making sure you're decommissioning identities and accounts that, that are no longer with the company. But actually a, a, a sort of achieving that in a more real-time basis in a more periodic fashion um, is what you need to get to from a security perspective to drive the outcome. So I think what we're seeing is really progressive companies are taking some of these more traditionally uh, compliance-driven controls and really figuring out how they they automate as much of that as possible um, and, and make it more prolific and make it more of an integral part of the business in terms of driving the security outcome, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Uh, the automation becomes key and that helps with that speed to market um, and really being able to react uh, as users come and go and, and that proliferation of technology that you were talking about earlier. So checking the boxes for compliance is really not going to help us achieve real security outcomes. So can you tell us why that falls short? There is goodness to compliance. Don't get me wrong. There is goodness in implementing your SOC 2 type 2 and being compliant and, and having a baseline set of controls that help you achieve security. But I think it, it would be hard for anyone to argue that that's all that you need to do or that that's enough. Um, because I, I think even companies that are compliant that have great SOC 2 reports are getting breached. So clearly there's just, you know, there's a, there's a gap here where 
you're you're doing all the right things from a compliance perspective. Uh, you're checking the boxes, but bad things are still happening. And so I think that's really how we need to shift our thinking a little bit. Um, and again, I think a, a lot of that just boils down to taking taking what's working um, and making it work better, making it more effective. Um, you know, expanding the role of those controls and, and capabilities in the organization, um, and really thinking about how do you reduce um, the risk of your organization, particularly when as it relates to identity governance, particularly as it relates to identities and accounts. And I think that that's kind of the key here is there's a lot of just basic things that we're doing um, that from a hygiene standpoint are checking the box for compliance, but we really need to go a couple steps further to actually drive to the security outcome um, for your business. Securing workforce identities begins with visibility and automation. Cloud forwarded companies like DigitalOcean, Ramp, and Shipt trust Conductor One to stay ahead of compliance needs and potential security threats. With Conductor One's modern control pane, IT and security teams can reduce standing privilege, enable just-in-time access, and simplify user access reviews for SOX, SOX2, PCI DSS, and more. Get real-time visibility into identity and user data throughout your systems, including SaaS, ICE, and any homegrown apps with out-of-the-box connectors. Customizable policies and workflows help to ensure that users only have privileged access when they need to do their job, and for no longer. Conductor One is identity security for the modern workforce. To learn more, visit ConductorOne.com. So you mentioned the user access reviews. Can you talk to us a little bit more about how those become important in that governance framework that you were referring to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So user access reviews, um, if, if you're not familiar with what they are, are uh, typically a, it's a, a periodic process that companies undertake to review um, accounts, privileges, permissions, access rights uh, for employees and contractors to make sure that those are, are right-sized and appropriate. Um, and there can be many reasons why they're, they're not appropriate anymore. You could have changed roles, you could have um, changed teams, uh, maybe you're not with a company anymore and you have what's called a, an orphaned account, which is an account that's still active that has access, but really doesn't have a, a person working who is assuming that account. And so what UARs do is they, they're a very effective tool at actually identifying, again, that unused, inappropriate um, or overprivileged access, and then driving to the outcome of actually reducing and removing uh, those unnecessary accounts and permissions. Uh, the challenge that we see um, that companies have candidly is just the sheer number of applications that are running your business today is, is staggering. Uh, you know, maybe it, it used to be 10 years ago, handful of critical applications, your financial systems, um, your sales systems, your infrastructure, but you might be running your own infrastructure. Um, today, you know, companies have 100 SaaS applications, uh, you know, they're in multiple infrastructure clouds and, and all of these applications uh, are absolutely critical to running their business. And so the, the challenge for companies is really about how do you take that UAR process and control, uh, use that prolifically across all of those, all that surface areas of applications, all that surface area of users and identities. And how do you do it more frequently? Because uh, th that's kind of the, the follow on challenge there is the, you know, the tip, if you're just sort of following the letter of the law from a compliance perspective, you might actually only be running those, um, those UARs every quarter, every, you know, semi-annually, annually, sometimes for certain applications. 
And you know, we regularly find that companies are uh, identifying and, and removing 15, 25, sometimes percent of accounts and privileges and permissions that are inappropriate, which means you've got just this huge attack surface area of accounts, identities, permissions, overprivilege, floating around out there, just really waiting um, uh, you know, to be uh, used from an attacker perspective um, to, to compromise data in your organization, your infrastructure. And uh, that's just not good enough. You know, candidly, kind of I, doing that once a year and, and reducing privileges is just not, it's not, a fa it's not fast enough. Um, so companies, I think, are, are recognizing that, um, particularly with a lot of the, the data breaches that we're starting to see today. Um, you know, you have to figure out how you move permissioning and access rights and access control to much more just in time versus we're going to grant permissions and access. We're going to let it hang out there for a year. And then a year later, we're going to figure out whether or not that person still needs it or not. That time under the curve of over-provisioned access is way too big and that's risk to your organization. Absolutely. And it really ties back to what you were saying earlier about automation, right? So if we're automating that onboarding and that offboarding process, we're, we're reducing that attack surface uh, more quickly, or at least not having those accounts being out there, uh, you know, fodder for uh, hackers and, and others who might exploit them. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of wild when you look at most companies um, you know, if you, if you just kind of studied how permissions change and grow for accounts over time, generally what you'll see is just an accumulation of access um, for any particular user over some period of time. So your, your biggest targets are people who've been at the company for 10 years, you know, five, five six, seven, eight, 10 years, whatever it might be, um, because they've worked on multiple projects, they've had access to multiple systems over time. And that access just, you know, it's hard to remove it. And it typically doesn't get removed uh, in an efficient, effective and timely fashion. Um, and so, um, yeah, we just see that as a, a huge risk um, for most organizations. And I think companies recognize that as well. Okay. And it really also ties back to, like you said, people who are staying with the organization for a period of time, you may end up with SOD violations like segregation of duties because perhaps they were in run role when they started 10 years ago, but they're no longer in the role uh, now. And so how do we get, uh, what are your thoughts about making sure that we are up to date or uh, alerted right, in real time around the possibility of those types of violations or access being so critical, I used to call them golden key holders, right? The people who have the keys to the kingdom, if you will, that they're also scrutinized uh, on a more real-time basis. Yeah, I, you know, I think automation, as you mentioned before, really is the key to that. I think um, it starts with being able to aggregate and understand your environment in real time and pull all that data in, um, which really necessitates at any given time being able to potentially reach out, connect and ingest data from uh, 50 plus applications um, and, and whether those applications, I'm using app very loosely here, it could mean SaaS applications, it could mean infrastructure as a service like your AWS or GCP environments. Um, but without being able to ingest that data in real time and pull that in and actually understand your environment, you, you can't drive the automation and the response and that alerting, as you mentioned, in any sort of effective um, uh, you know, frequency that's going to give you the outcome that you need to get to, which is very quickly understanding if a user has overprivilege, if there's a separation of duty violation, and then being able to move to remediate that. You know, the, the, the challenge being here really fundamentally that in identity, 
that's compromised uh, starts to look a little bit like an insider threat if if the identity is actually you know taken over and that user moves laterally throughout the organization. So if you have an overprivileged, overpermissioned account, um, that account can can access whatever that user had. Um, and so, yeah, being able to to understand that from a visibility perspective, being able to ingest that data in real time, that really is the uh, that's the the precursor. Yeah, and and I would say also that uh, some of the accounts that aren't necessarily uh, an individual's account, uh, call functional accounts or system accounts, can can also be a, a challenge in that regard. So uh, these are the things that we really need to have that governance system around. So perhaps we can talk a little bit more about security-led governance and uh, the principles around that and the frameworks that you would suggest. Can you give us some more thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I th when I think about security-led government governance, again, it's about starting with that outcome. It's about starting with the objective in mind. The objective is how do we drive the security outcome? Um, compliance is a part of that. Make sure you're achieving your compliance goals, but fundamentally it's about driving to the security outcome. And so I think when you distill that down, it really starts to shake out into a couple of, of sort of first principles. I think the first principle I think about um, as it relates to uh, securing identity is, is really a, a principle of zero trust. Um, and it, it's, it's really the last principle in the journey, which is people should only have the access they need to do their job and no longer than they need the access for. Um, as with most things, it's very easy to, uh, most things, particularly in security, it's very easy to call out the first principle. The reality is it's, it's actually really quite challenging to implement it. <laughs> and so, I think there's a few, uh, you know, there's there's a few patterns that we see um, being helpful, and that that companies are adopting. One is they are moving um, as much access as possible to just in time. So, you know, being able to uh, provision access just in time, particularly for sensitive apps and roles. Um, the second piece is really about that automation around user access reviews and being able to do those more frequently, do those more timely, um, do those for all of your applications and roles in your environment. Um, and then the third piece is um, just about ingesting all that data and getting visibility across your entire environment um, and being able to understand, again, all the identities in your environment, what access they have, what applications you have, um, and being able to see that in one central location. And so I think if you, you know, start moving more towards those patterns, that is fundamentally how you decrease that, that surface area of over-permission and access rights um, that users shouldn't have which actually starts to drive the security outcome. Absolutely. So what are some actionable steps that we can use to get started? Uh, it's, it's, it's quite, like you said, with all the proliferation of systems um, and certainly on-prem and off-prem, you've got your infrastructure, you've got your applications. Where do we start? What are some actionable steps? Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest thing by far, um, and it sounds simple, but I, I think it's actually truly effective, is really just looking at every step in the process and figuring out how you invest in automation for those steps. Um, you know, again, none of the controls and none of the processes that we are, that we're executing are wrong or flawed in any way, shape or form. It's just fundamentally that if you're just doing things once a year or you're not doing just in time privileges, that's really where the issue comes into place. And the reason that's hard and not necessarily achievable is that the cost of doing those things is too high for organizations today. 
And the, the cost is too high because they are heavily manual processes for the most part, which means you've got sometimes an army of uh, <laughs> GRC and IT folks who are, um, you know, preparing, or let's just take user access reviews in his example, uh, preparing those user access reviews, consolidating spreadsheets, um, creating JIRA tickets or ServiceNow tickets for them, assigning those out, tracking them down. You know, that's a process that is heavily manual, uh, that has tons of clicks and calories um, to actually kind of achieve that, that compliance-centric outcome. And so as much as you can, just investing in automation of every single one of those steps, if possible, starts to, to, to drive you to a place where you can take a lot of the manual work out of it. And then you can look at, okay, how do we use this control and this tool, which is a very effective security tool, and, and make it more real time and make it more um, broadly applied to more applications or more identities. Um, and I think that's, you know, it, unfortunately for better or worse, it's, it's very contextual to every business, but I do think it's that, it's that focus on automation. And we see, you know, every company at some level is a little bit transforming into a software company. So we do see uh, this already starting to uh, kind of poke into, um, you know, the way that companies are thinking about these processes where you've got your GRC team aligned to security uh, security very aligned to engineering uh, and maybe your CTO's organization. And so you're starting to see a lot of like automation centric engineering um, pack practices, patterns uh, kind of come into that security team and into the GRC team to focus on that automation. So that would be uh, that would be my uh, perspective on kind of a first step is looking at your process and end figuring out what you can automate. You know, I really love that term clicks and calories. You had me laughing with that one. <laughs> yeah. Clicking calories and click click ops. <laughs> That's the other one. I really like that because when awesome. you talk about how everything was so manual and spreadsheet driven, right? It changes hands, and the, you know there's there's the possibility of corruption. I, I really was in the mindset, and you touched upon it already about how these security teams are looking more and more like engineering teams in order to solve these problems. Yeah, bingo. I mean, security teams. I think we're seeing the rise of a. Uh, um, a function in security called security engineering, actually, where the goal and the objective of those teams is to, uh, again, take a lot of these security or compliance centric controls and think about them as if they were engineers, you know, or, or approach automating the problems as if they were engineering teams. Um, and so that means, you know, scripting a lot of the processes, automating data collection, automating the workflows around um, security detection and response. Um, and so I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of companies are starting to build that competency um, from a security perspective where they have teams now that can actually even help in that automation. I think it's a, a super powerful um, trend and I'm, I'm really excited to see where we go with it. So, Alex, another question for you. What would you recommend companies do to justify or provide the value proposition for the automation that's required in the governance that, that really should be in place uh, to ensure that that attack surface is as minimal as possible? Oh, this is, this is a great question. Um, this is something that I think, interestingly, has been a, a huge shift, I would argue, in the last few years. So again, um, you know, it used to be that that really only the biggest companies had governance programs that invest in governance solutions. And what you would see is that there was not a lot of ROI and, and focus on time to value because it was a necessary program from a compliance perspective. And so companies and, and vendors weren't really held accountable, I think, 
to, to seeing, um, you know, successful uh, on-time governance uh, solution implementation or efficient program. And we, we are seeing that shifting. Um, and I think that's shifting for a few reasons. I think there's macroeconomic reasons, um, you know, just the, the downturn uh, in the economy. And um, I think, you know, really uh, forward-thinking CISOs also want to understand materially how something is not just, you know, checking the box from a compliance perspective, but actually driving a better security outcome. Um, and so I think there's a couple ways that that folks are thinking about that. Um, one is, uh, you know, really a reduction in, in the overall manual processes. So I think there's a strong ROI um, to justify, again, like a reduction in the clicks and calories and the manual processes associated with typically uh, enforcing these controls and running these processes. Um, I think it's also straightforward to actually show the security outcome in terms of a reduction in standing privileges and identification of orphan accounts and kind of a reduction of that that attack surface area and so i think those are the the two pieces all of that is underpinned fundamentally by time to value and how much effort you put into it so kind of going back to something we talked about earlier i think um again you you got to focus on uh automation um if you're buying a tool you know how quickly can you get it rolled out how quickly can you get it deployed and then show the value in terms of, um, you know, reduction in, in overhead and, and total um, uh, time spent on the process uh, and then an improvement to the security posture for the organization. Yeah, I would totally agree. Um, and quite often you have, like we talked about earlier, uh, a lot of manual processes going on and there are so many people involved with making that happen. Uh, those resources could be redeployed to be doing some other value-add work. So there's there's a definitely an ROI just in that alone. People love it. I mean, the reality is no one likes pulling together spreadsheets. It's not fun. Um, and, you know, bird dogging people to get their user access reviews done. It's not fun. So it's a, a great opportunity, I think, to really, um, you know, take uh, take people that were spending a lot of time kind of, you know, on manual processes, clicks and calories, click ops work and get them on higher value projects that are you know driving more um, uh, either compliance or security value for the company. Well, thank you so much, Alex. We just have a few minutes left, and I just wanted to ask if you had any closing thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, look, I, I'm not a, my background is in security, uh, but I'm not a, I'm not a doom and gloom security person. I'm, I'm excited about the future, and I'm excited about where we're going, and, and I think the, the future is very bright as it relates to security and governance. I'm, I'm very excited about how we are fundamentally shifting the way that we're thinking about security and securing identity in particular. And um, I think it's a, you know, I think it's a bright new world of um, better technical approaches, uh, better security for organizations. And it's just going to, it's going to require us to focus on the right, um, you know, the right automation and sort of the right controls and the right pieces of the puzzle. Um, but uh, I, I, I think there's, there's good outcomes uh, in those hills. We just have to, we have to put in the work. So thank you, Alex. That's all the time that we have for right now. I really appreciate you coming out and talking with us. Alex, who's the CEO and co-founder of Conductor One, uh, continue playing that guitar and we want to hear some, some good uh, work from you and your family there. Um, but thank you so much for talking to us about security-led governance. And um, again, my name is Lisa Cook and I appreciate everybody for coming out and listening to the podcast and hope you'll continue to tune in. <laughs>